Have you ever been disappointed? Um, there are some Dodger fans who know what that's like. I know for sure. In a couple of weeks, half of our nation is going to be disappointed one way or the other. Have you ever been disappointed in life? Have you ever been disappointed by circumstances that were just out of your control? Have you ever had those moments or seasons in life where you just felt stuck? I want you to think for a moment right now about your greatest disappointment in life. Just just fix that in your head. For some of you, you, you thought about it right now. Others of you are like, oh gosh, which one do I pick? <laughs> think about right now what's your greatest disappointment and, and then think about as well, what's your current disappointment? Do you want to know where disappointment comes from? Yes. Thank you. That you and I have a conversation this morning about disappointment. Disappointment is the result of investments that go unrewarded. Think about it. We're only disappointed regarding those things that we're invested in. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you invest a lot of time, do you know how much time I put into this? And then that goes unrewarded. What happens? You're disappointed. I mean, think about it. You know how much energy I put into this project and it's unro- it go- I got nothing for it? That's disappointing, right? We all have those times in our life. You know how much blood, sweat, and tears I put into this? To have nothing to show for it? When, th- when you invest heavily in something or in someone, right, and it goes unrewarded, it goes not your way, disappointment sets in. See, no one's ever disappointed what they're not invested in. I was not disappointed one bit by the baseball game last night. I have no emotional investment in anything about that. My friend Darren was disappointed in it because he had something invested in it. I was a little bit disappointed for my friend Darren, but I've invested very little in him, so I really didn't care. No, it's kidding. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying, right? Like we're not disappointed in things we're not invested in. And what happens when things go wrong that we have invested in, we're disappointed. And when disappointment goes long enough, frustration sits in. Now, we can handle disappointment as long as things turn around. But when disappointment lasts long enough and things never turn around, then we get frustrated. And when I'm frustrated long enough, you know what the end result of that is? I just want to give up. I just want to quit. And it's true in every arena of life. It's true in every relationship. When you invest heavily in a relationship and there's nothing to show for it, you get frustrated. And if I live in that state of frustration in this relationship long enough, eventually I'm going to feel like giving up. Right? Oh, I'm sorry. Did that get too personal too fast? Should I have warmed you up a little bit? It's true in every arena. Think about work. 
Some of you understand. I have given my blood, sweat, and tears to this job, to this boss, to this company. What do I have to show for it now? Right? Frustration. Just want to be done. Students work so hard for so long to get to this point. What's there to show for it now? There's barely an education. In every arena, for the athlete that trains and trains and trains, bleeds over, works over night and day, only did it get to the point in their athletic career where there's nothing to show for it? I just want to be done. In every arena of life, when I have invested greatly in something that is nothing to show for, I'm going to get disappointed. If I'm disappointed long enough, I'm going to get frustrated. If I'm frustrated long enough, I just want to quit. You know, while I understand disappointment and frustration, and I understand even the desire to want to quit, one thing I've realized is that one of the signs of immaturity is quitting. So how do you keep yourself in a position of blessing when you're disappointed? How do you keep yourself in a position of being blessed when you're frustrated? How do you keep yourself in a position of being blessed when you just want to quit? The key is to keep yourself in a position of trust. Now we're looking at these seven characteristics of being in a position to be blessed. And we've talked about at week one, the position of being in a position of prayer. And we've talked about in week two, the being in a position of expectation. But what happens when I have been in prayer and nothing has changed and still not going my way? What happens when I've expected great things from God and nothing is still going my way? What happens when it's been too long and I'm still disappointed and I'm still frustrated because I've invested so much time in prayer. I've invested so much energy and expectation and still nothing. We have to get to that point of keeping ourselves in a position of trust. Now, when I say trust, here's what I mean. Trust is a firm belief in the integrity, in the ability, and in the character of a person it's confidence and it's reliance. It's a firm belief in the integrity, ability, and character. So when I say keep ourselves in a position of trust in God, what I mean is to keep ourselves in a position of a firm belief in the integrity and the character and in the ability of God. What I mean is to have a full and complete confidence and reliance upon him. The biblical word for trust has with it the understanding to be carefree and careless. Not neglectful, but just when I trust God, I'm carefree. And I live with this air of it's all good. Even when I'm disappointed and frustrated. So even when we're at those moments of disappointment and frustration... To trust in God means to keep a firm belief in the ability of God and have full confidence and reliance upon him. Now, let me tell you a biblical example of all of this. Luke chapter five. There's four gospels that all present Jesus from a different viewpoint to a different audience. Luke is the third one, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke chapter five. Let me read it to you, and then I want to explain some context about where it is and what's going on. Luke chapter 5 says this. 
One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, let me just pause right there. This is another word for this place. It's called the Sea of Galilee, which really wasn't a sea. It was a lake. And so this is the Lake of Galilee. Do you understand? So Lake of Galilee. The people were crowding around him and, were, and listening to the word of God. He saw, he, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonged to Simon. Now this is Simon Peter, same guy, two names, Simon Peter. And he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Well, Simon Peter answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. I don't know how many fish it was, but I know it's a whole passel of fish to make a fisherman's nets break. Not only that, I know it's a whole bunch of fish when two fishing boats start to sink. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know how many there were, but there were a lot of them. When Simon Peter saw all this happen, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's fishing partners. Then Jesus said to Simon Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, I got bigger plans for you. You'll fish for people. And they pulled their boats up on the shore left everything and followed him. Now, let me give you a little context before we get into the content of this. The Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee was important in the context of the New Testament and then the life of the ministry and ministry of Jesus. The Lake of Galilee was 13 miles long and seven and a half miles wide. It's set right below the city of Tiberias and right off the, the, the hill where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five, six, and seven. I've been there. It's a beautiful place. The lake is fed by fresh waters of uh, the snow melt from Mount uh, Lebanon and Mount Hermon and from underwater springs. And so it's just this vibrant, beautiful lake full of life. And the Sea of Galilee feeds the Jordan River that runs down into the Dead Sea in Egypt. It's right in this area, this beautiful, beautiful portion of the promised land. The Sea of Galilee is the second lowest lake in the world. And the Sea of Galilee was the base of Jesus' ministry. So much so that 18 of the 37 miracles that Jesus did was at the Sea of Galilee. So I started thinking about that. The second lowest lake in the world, the lowest lake in the promised land, was the home base of Jesus and his ministry Half of the miracles Jesus did was around the Lake of Galilee. So I started thinking, I wonder if Jesus chose the Lake of Galilee just simply by its proximity because it was close and an issue of geography, or maybe, maybe Jesus chose the lowest places to do his greatest works. You ever been disappointed? Maybe, think about it, without the lowest places in life, without the greatest disappointments in life, without the most profound frustrations in life, you have no space for a miracle in life. Do you understand? Do you understand? 
I, I'm telling you, I am so excited about this message. It, this is good stuff. You guys are getting the A game this morning. You understand? You need to raise your expectations a little bit because this is going to be good. I've been so excited to preach this. Like every day, I'm like, oh, that was a good thought. I, I pull over and I, I, I type stuff down on my phone. I'm going about my day. Yes, all day long. I'm like, oh, that was a really good one. They're going to love this. This is a good one. It's going to hit them right here. And last night, I'm laying up. Oh, that was another. This morning, I'm like, oh, that was, I got, I got post-it notes up here. Like, this is some good stuff. You all need to start understanding how, what, what a blessing this is for you this morning. I'm just saying that maybe Jesus chose the lowest places to do his greatest work. And so if you're in one of those moments of disappointment and frustration, you may just be positioned for a great work. I mean, God's miracles don't happen on the mountaintops. They happen in the valley of the shadow of death. That's where he walks with us. At the end of the day, we talk about disappointment and frustration. We have to answer this question for ourselves. How long am I going to give God before I fire him? Do you understand? How long am I going to give God before I fire him? Because a lot of people say, well, Jesus, I want you to lead my life. And then things go wrong. They get to this point, they get frustrated and say, God, you're fired. Like, I'll still keep you around to get into heaven because I don't want to go to hell. But as far as leading my life and doing things your way, I don't like how it's gone. I've invested too much. It hasn't panned out. You're fired. How long are you going to give God till you fire him? See, to be in a place to receive God's blessing, his activity, I must trust God even when I'm disappointed and frustrated. Even when I'm disappointed and frustrated. Now, now watch this. One of the first verses I memorized was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. If you're not memorized it, you need to commit this one to memory. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll take care of the rest. He'll direct your paths. He'll make your path straight. See, this, the writer of Psalm 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord. Don't lean on your own understanding. Here's why. Because when we lean on our own understanding, we say things like, after all the time I've invested, after all the energy I've spent, after all the hope I had, after all the work I've done, after everything I've invested, it's not panned out, I'm out. When we trust on our own understanding of how things should be, of how we want them to be, of how we expect them to be, and it doesn't pan out, our own understanding says, get out. So it's our own understanding that leads us to the places of disappointment and frustration. That's why the Bible says, don't lean on that. Have full confidence in my character, in my ability. God says. Do you understand? Do you understand? You okay? Take a deep breath. Just take a deep breath. Whew. Okay. Let's see how this plays out. Verse three. This is a talk about Jesus. He got done talking. He got into one of the boats, the one belonged to Simon Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So Jesus sees this boat and gets into it. 
and asked Simon Peter to, to put out to water. What did Jesus not do? Did you pick up on it? He didn't ask Peter's permission. He said he saw a boat and he hopped in it. And then he asked, oh, Pete, is this your boat? Hey, put me out to shore a little bit. He never asked Peter's permission. Did you realize that? He hijacked Peter's boat. I was reading over this this morning. I'm like, what, Jesus? Whoa. That's like, there's a couple cars out there, trucks out there I'd like to do that too. Like it's biblical. Like, and, but this is what I thought. Jesus hijacked his boat and then he hijacked his life. And I think what Jesus was after the whole time was not Peter's boat. It was after his life. Has Jesus ever hijacked you? See, it may be, think about this for a minute. Just put it in context. It may be that Jesus is hijacking things in your life, not because he wants your stuff, but because he wants you. And he's got you in these moments of what? Disappointment and frustration and all this stuff you've planned on has been hijacked. And Jesus is saying, because I want you. And he's not asking your permission. Do you know why he didn't ask Peter's permission for his boat? Do you know why he does? Hey, Pete, this is your boat. Can I borrow it? Do you know why? Here's why I think. Because Peter, like us, would have said no. No. I'm going to let you. I've been busting my butt this whole time. I got no. No. Like, I'm ready to cash in. I'm ready to go home. Like, you're asking a lot of me, Jesus, to hijack this thing right now, right? Like, I don't, I don't really know you that well. I don't know if you have liability insurance over it. I don't want to hire you and put you on workman's comp. I mean, there's all kinds of issues why I'm going to say no. And oftentimes, if Jesus asks us permission first, guess what we'll say? No. And the reason why we say no is because we don't realize that it's only by Jesus' acquisition of the thing that the blessings come. See, so many people sit outside the acquisition, like don't let Jesus acquire their life. And if they ask for God's blessing, he says, wait, 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 I got to own it before I'm blessed. Do you understand? I'm telling you, this is good stuff. This, you're getting some good stuff this morning. You're so lucky you came to church. Like, let this stuff sink in. Jesus got into the boat without permission and then asked Peter to oblige him. He said, look, I'm going to hijack this for a minute. Then I want you to do something for me. Has Jesus ever hijacked something from you and then asked you to do something for him with it? Like, I'm going to take control of this now. It's going to be out of your hands, and you need to do something for me. That's a tough spot. Watch what happens. This is a great account. When he had finished speaking, Jesus said to Simon Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Because you say so, I'll let down the nets. You know how you know God is up to something? I'm going to tell you how. Because you want to know that, right? You do. You want to know, well, how do I know God's really up to something? You know God's up to something when he asks you to do something that's contrary to your instincts. When God asks you to do something that's contrary to your instincts, you know he's up to something. Now, again, I can get real personal real quick. It's contrary to our instincts when God says, you know what I want you to do with your money? I want you to give 10% of it right off the top. We're like, okay, wait a minute, time out, time out, time out. Like, I'm a fan of yours, Jesus, but I'm not a fanatic. Let's not get crazy here, right? 
Like, that makes no sense to me. I'm struggling. I'm working. We're in a pandemic. I'm unsure about stuff. You want me to give on top before I do anything else? That's against my instincts. That's how you know God is up to something. You understand? And it's that way in every aspect of life. This is so important, especially for single people to understand. Like, God, if I do everything the way you've asked me to do it in my dating life and relationships, I'm probably not going to have a date. That's contrary to what I want to do. Yeah, because he's up to something. Do you understand? Jesus says, let down your nets into the deep. Jesus is drawing us to the deep things. Literally, the deep depths. Drop down your nets into the deep depths of the things of God. Here's what happens. When we rely on our own understanding and we become disappointed and frustrated, it's because we've settled for the shallow things. We want God to make me feel better, make me happy, get me out of this. When God wants to draw us down to the deep things. God's instructions always, always, always lead us to the deep things. When we follow his ways, it always leads us to the deep things. This was completely contrary to everything that Peter understood. A couple years ago, we went to uh, uh, Lake Tahoe. And I, 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 uh, I ordered us this, this fish charter experience and the boys went out fishing and we got up at old dark 30 got there out on the lake the sun wasn't up it was cold the coldest part of the early morning was when we went out here's why because these fish are cold water fish and at the cold of the morning they're up top of the water they're higher in the lake as the day warms up, the water warms up, they get deeper and deeper and deeper. Do you understand? Now, that wasn't a problem for us because the fishing charter we were on had big fishing poles and sonar and radar and big old 10-pound weights that we could drop our bait way down deep. The last fish we caught that morning was at 410 feet deep. So it was fine for us to fish in the middle of the day because we can get down to the cold water. But for Peter, these guys, they weren't fishing with poles. They didn't have sonar. They didn't have radar. They were fishing with nets. And you take a net and you throw it out on the top of the water. And the reason why they had to fish at night in the cold of the night is because the fish were at top. So going in the middle of the afternoon after Jesus got done with the message, you think I preach on Jesus preaches a real long time. It takes three chapters of his message. He goes out in the middle of the day and says, get your nets out for fishing. Peter's like, this makes no sense at all. I'm a professional fisherman. I've been doing this my whole life. We're going to throw our nets on top of the water. It ain't going to get nothing. It was completely contrary to everything that they knew, to everything that they had invested in, to every one of their expectations, and that's why they were filled with so much disappointment and frustration at the end of this day, worthless day. But God's instructions lead us to the deep things. And look at Peter's response. He says, we've been at this all day and all night. And now I'm tired. And I'm disappointed. And I'm frustrated. 
He says, we've done everything we already know to do. We got no other tools in our toolbox. We got no other tricks up our sleeve, nothing. We are exhausted because we've exhausted every one of our abilities. You ever been there? You ever been to that place where none of your abilities have worked? When all your resources have dried up and you're just ready to quit and be done. It's just a... When you say, I have toiled all night and I am exhausted. I'm exhausted from the work. I'm exhausted from the energy. I'm exhausted from the physical toll this is taken. I'm exhausted from the emotional toll this is taken. I'm exhausted from the spiritual toll this is taken. I'm full of grief. I'm full of burdens. And I'm just worn out. Right? I suspect that some of us have worked so hard for so long only to be left with nothing to show for our effort and disappointment has crept in and we've lived it for, for so long we're at the point of frustration and that frustration has grown so big we just want to quit let me just warn you and warn me if you're at that place be careful that you don't start complaining. Someone said once, don't pray to God and then start complaining to man. Complaining is a warning light that you're not trusting God in this moment. Do you understand? Peter was disappointed and frustrated at the lack of results for his work. If you're young, especially, I want you to pay attention to this. This is especially important for you because when you're young, you have all these hopes and all these expectations and all these desires and you just think life is going to pan out the way you want it to pan out and you put all these eggs in certain baskets and you, you spend all these years working towards what you hope is going to be this brilliant and fantastic future and there's going to be those times where you are sorely disappointed. When you're old like me, you'll understand. That's just part of life. But when you're young or immature and those disappointments come, it destroys oftentimes. Peter was disappointed. He had high hopes. He had invested his life in this work. He had invested long days and long nights and nothing to show for it. And there was no payoff for all of his effort. And you can hear it in his words. We have worked all night and got nothing. But here's where Peter's better than me. I don't know if Peter's better than you, but I know he's better than me. Here's where Peter's better than me. He says, we have worked all night. We've exhausted all our research. We've done everything we know to do and nothing, he says, but I'll choose to trust your word. Since you said so, I will. Since you said so, I will trust what you say. He says, even though I'm disappointed, I'll trust what you say. 
Even though I've invested a lot in this and it hasn't panned out, I will still trust what you say. Even though I'm really, really, really frustrated right now, I will trust what you say. Even though I just want to quit and go home, Peter says, I will trust what you say. See, you and I have a choice right now not to trust what he says or trust what he says. He says, I will trust you not only enough to do what you say, I'll trust you enough to let you use my boat. I'll trust you enough to use those things in my life that you want to take acquisition of and let you do with it what you want to do with it. I wonder what resources you have that you're not trusting God with right now. I wonder what are those things that you have in your life that he wants to take acquisition of. And if you don't give him permission, he might just take it by force so that you will realize there's something greater than what you're seeking. I mean, watch what happens. They trusted God with their resources. They trusted God with the process. They trusted God in obedience. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. When they had done so, when they had done what? When they had trusted, when they had acted, when they had been obedient. See, the blessing came after the trusting and the blessing came after the obedience. This is where we miss it. Because what we say is, God, if that's what you want me to do, then make sure I understand it's going to be okay. If that's what you're asking of me, then give me a sign again that you're in control. If that's what you're asking of me, I need to know that I'm going to be okay. And God says, no, that isn't the way I work. God says the blessing doesn't come before the trusting and obedience. The blessing comes after the trusting and obedience. Because if the blessing came before the trusting and obedience, there wouldn't be faith. But because the blessing comes after the trusting and after the obedience, it requires faith beforehand. You understand? You understand? So they sent other partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now, again, I don't know how many fish. There's a lot of fish. That's a whole passel of fish. That, that's like, that's not a school of fish. That's like a university system full of fish. You understand what I'm saying? Like the, they're fishing boats. They're designed to float when they're full of fish. They got so much fish, not one boat, but both boats start to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees, Jesus knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at what God had done. And James and John, his partners, floored. And Jesus said to Simon Peter, don't be afraid. I'm going to do something more with you than what you could even imagine right now. See, I want you to notice something. That when God intervened, it wasn't just for Peter's benefit. James and John as well. See, Peter had, Peter had people in the huddle of his life, on the front row of his life, that were watching him, that were looking at him, 
Peter had people in the huddle of his life who saw him work day and night, who saw him struggle day and night, who saw the disappointments and the successes day and night. He had people close to him who knew his need. They were aware of what he was going through. And so they were present to watch God intervene in his life. Here's what I know about you and me, that we have people in the huddle of our life who see our need. We have people in the huddle of our life who watch us and observe how we handle our needs in life. We have people in the huddle of our life who are present to watch and see when God starts to intervene in small ways and in larger. Because why? Because there are people in the huddle of our life who need to be introduced to him. Do you understand that? So here's what I want you to understand. Here's what we've got to get. The need that you have right now, those empty nets, the disappointments and the frustrations, everything that you invested that's proving no benefit right now, all that might just might be orchestrated by God so that when he intervenes, you'll have a story to tell about him to those on the huddle of your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't miss this. I'm telling you, this, this is some good stuff. I'm so glad you came to church. I'm so glad you tuned in today, man, that you need this. Because that, that thing in your life, that's a need that's led to your greatest disappointments and most profound frustrations, just maybe orchestrated by God so that as you trust him, he will intervene so you'll have a story to tell about him to those in your huddle. We have one job on this planet, one job, to help those in my huddle know Jesus. We've said this in a lot of different ways in the past, but it has always been our focus, it's always been our mission, it's always been our purpose. We used to say it like this to help those take their next right spiritual and practical step in growing and showing their love for God and love for Jesus. Loving God and loving Jesus. To help those take their next right spiritual and practical step in growing and showing their love for God and love for Jesus. I just kind of shortened that down and made it more simple for you to understand and get to help those people in your huddle know about him. That's our job. That's our goal. And because Peter trusted, look at verse 11. They pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. Not just Peter, they. Because Peter trusted. Because there were people in Peter's huddle in the front row of his life that knew Peter's need. Why? Because they had the same need. They had caught nothing. Here's what I know. Your need, your disappointment, your frustration, the person sitting next to you has probably the same thing. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, there's no temptation taking you, but what is common to man? It's common to all of us. Those needs and frustrations you have, those disappointments you have, they're common to all of us. And there are people in the front row of Peter's life that saw his need because they had the same need and saw God intervene. And because they saw God intervene in Peter's life because they were in his huddle, they too then followed him just like Peter did. Here's what I know, that people in the front row of your life, people in your huddle will see your need because they have the exact same need. And when they see you trust God in that need and see God intervene, they will then start to follow as well. See, Jesus had 12 disciples, but three of them were on the inner, cycle, inner circle of those disciples. Who were they? Peter, James, and John, these guys at the boat. Because they saw what God did in Peter's life. We got one job. As we trust, 
in the deepest disappointments and greatest frustrations. God starts to intervene. And those in our huddle start to see it. And so we start to have a story to tell about him. Do you understand? Band, you got to come up if I'm ever going to get done. Because until you get up here, I got no reason to stop. <laughs> Watch this. Let me go back to verse 10. Jesus said to Simon Peter, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Now you're going to catch people. I'm going to do something greater with you. It's interesting to me that Jesus told Peter, don't be afraid. When you understand what that word afraid means, and to not be it, it means literally don't be terrified. Don't be seized with alarm. And don't be startled by strange happenings, i.e. 2020. Don't be scared. Don't be seized with alarm at what's going on right now, either in your world, in your community, or in your life. Don't be startled by strange happenings. I know it's disappointing. I know it's frustrating. Don't be scared by it, Jesus says. And it says they followed him. They didn't follow a process. They didn't follow a program. They followed a person. And it means literally they became his attendant. They sided with his party. And they realized their hope was not in donkeys and not in elephants. It was in the party of Christ and his invisible kingdom. And the thing I love about this story is not just what God did. Because it gives me hope in the middle of my disappointments, in, in the middle of my frustrations. It gives me hope to keep trusting. But the thing I love about this story is not just what God did, but is what, how they responded to what God did. The Bible says that after Jesus used Peter's boat, and the Bible says after Jesus blessed Peter for his trust and his obedience, the Bible says that Peter what? Okay, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Listen, I'm, you, you, you're going to make me stop this car and turn it around and do it all over again. Like this ought to be the easiest, other than me asking your name, this ought to be the easiest question for you to answer. I mean, the answers, they trusted. That's not the answer. You missed it. What was that? Jeff Kofel, you get a gold star. There's an extra jewel in your crown in heaven. You're the smart one. Jeff, let's you and I talk. You, you're tracking with me. I can tell. I mean, you haven't given me any amens yet today, and I'm a little frustrated by that because I'm doing a darn good job. I got, I'm getting no feedback from you. You're the hardest church to preach to. I'm just telling you right now. But you understand, Jeff, right? What did they do? They left everything. You can't follow with your hand on what you had. Because he's going some. You can't follow holding on to all your stuff. They left it all. See, because Peter discovered that the blessing that God gave was not greater than the God that he was. The blessing that God gives is not greater than the God who gives it. 
The blessing that they wanted from God was lesser from what God wanted to do with him. I don't think that Peter ever looked back after seeing the church grow through Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. I don't think Peter ever looked back on watching the miracles that were done through the church. I don't think that Peter ever looked back to the Sea of Galilee and said, man, I wish I still had my boat. I don't think he ever looked back and said, I wish I wouldn't have trusted so much. Let me close with this. What I gain by trusting Jesus is far greater than what I give up to follow him. Listen, we've got to understand this. Especially the younger you are, the more important this is. Because like I said, you young ones, you're looking right now at everything that's ahead and you're thinking God's going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to blah, 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 blah. And what you really, what you don't realize yet is that he might want to do that, he might not. But in order to get where he wants you to go, you got to give up. And there's some fear and trepidation to think, but what am I going to give up? What if I miss out on? And here's what I know. What you gain by trusting Jesus is far greater. Don't you ever have to give up to follow him. And so I want to encourage you this morning, man, don't give up. Don't quit. Keep yourself in a position of being blessed by trusting in his character, in his ability. Put your full reliance there. I want you to pray with me. One of the things I love and so appreciate about my father is that he knows my heart and he hears my words. And so in this moment of prayer, you can say it with your words if you want to, but I'm telling you, if you feel it in your heart and it's the meditation of your heart, he hears that. And I would invite you in this moment to agree with me in prayer. If this whole idea of trust has resonated with you and you're working through disappointment and frustration, I'm going to invite you at the water's edge to say to this Jesus who is God, Father, I'm trying to keep myself in a position of prayer. Father, I'm trying to keep myself in a position of expectation. And while though I'm trying that, I admit it is hard and I'm disappointed, and I'm frustrated. Just be honest with him. And then in faith, tell him, but God, in this day, in this morning, I will choose to trust you. In the midst of my disappointment, in the midst of my frustration, before I give up, Father, I will trust you. Just tell him, say, Jesus, Fill my nets and fill my boats because I trust you. I've worked hard and I got nothing to show for it. And I've got huge monumental needs. But today I trust you. Break my nets. I give you my boat. I trust you with it. Just tell them, Jesus, I will trust you. And I will trust in your ability. And I will trust in your character. My confidence I place in you. I trust you.
respond through worship. core values here are illogical faith and irrational generosity. That's why I invited you at the top of this service to be irrational in your generosity because that's what God honors. And I invite you at the end of this message to illogical faith because I know what it's like to have those moments of disappointment, those moments of frustration where it just doesn't make sense to keep trusting. That's what I'm calling you to. That's one of our values because that's what God honors every time. And so I'm going to invite you again one more time to an illogical faith that says, I will trust you even in the midst of disappointment and frustration. Pray with me one more time. Here's your chance. Father, this heart I'm going to open to you from the depths of who I am, from the deep places of my own disappointment and frustration. I know you're calling me into the deep things of you, and I know that involves my trust. So today, I trust you. I renew my trust in you, in your sovereignty, in your plan, and in your ways. Tell them right now, Father, I know ahead of time that I'm going to doubt you. I know I am. Tell them I've lived with me long enough. I know I'm going to start doubting. In advance of my doubt, shore up my trust. In advance of my difficulty, give me strength. In advance of my peril, disappointment, and frustration, help me choose faith. Father, we are yours. Thank you for being ours. Fill our boats. Break our nets and make something in us and out of us that is so far beyond and greater of what we have planned. And for that, Father, we'll give you thanks. 
in your name I pray, man. Here's what I want you to do. If there's some commitment you've made this morning or a way that you that we can partner with you in this walk of faith, let us know. On the app, online, or in those cards, let us know. We want to celebrate with you, and we want to walk alongside you. Let us know. We're going to sing one more song. And I want you to use this time to say, Father, from the depths of who I am, I'm going to open up wide to who you are. Give us a